Welcome to Indie by Design episode 7. This is the show about game design and game designers. In this episode, we talk to Ghost Town Games, creators of the quite brilliant Overcooked. The Indie by Design podcast is brought to you by Stace Harmon and John Robertson. This episode is hosted by me, John Robertson. As regular listeners of the show will know, Stace and I are the writers and creators of Independent by Design, art and stories of indie game creation. It's a book that goes behind the scenes with some of the world's most revered indie game creators. It's available now via our website, indiebydesign.net, or via Amazon. You can also follow us on Twitter, at IndieByDesign, and if you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform, then we'd be very grateful. Ghost Town Games has been catapulted to fame following the success of its maiden release, Overcooked, which won two BAFTAs earlier this year. The game, which tasks players to work together to prepare, cook and serve food, has stood on the hearts of many thanks to its focus on coordination, cooperation and its ability to entice those that don't usually play games at all, and it does all of that without muting its potential for complexity. Here we talk to Ghost Town's co-founders and sole permanent members Phil Duncan and Ollie Devine about their move from Frontier Developments, where they worked prior to starting their own studio, the origins of Overcooked's local multiplayer, the design philosophy behind building games designed to be played in a communal setting, and much more. We begin with Ollie, followed quickly by Phil, explaining what it was that motivated them to want to work together. It did all start at Frontier, really, didn't it? I think that's, yeah. that's where me and Ollie had sort of... We'd, we'd, had we worked on a project together at that point? Uh, yeah, I think we worked on connecting us together back in the day. But yeah, not we didn't really have much of a lot of yeah, direct contact. And yeah. It was more just because we used to meet up um, at lunchtime, there'd be a group of us and we'd get together and we'd play whatever sort of local multiplayer games we could get our hands on, really. And I think that was kind of, that started a versioning um, sort of passion for that type of game. Yeah. Really, I don't know, I think me and you had always, me and Ollie rather, had, had always had a sort of um, desire to create our own thing. We'd just spend yeah. a lot of our free time creating various prototypes and, and experiments with games outside of what we were doing at, at Frontier and, and some of it to do with projects that we were doing at Frontier at the time. Um, and I think really that that was that was where we'd sort of gotten the, the, the itch, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, we'd always tried, I mean, we'd, we both have a real interest in working as like small teams. Mm. And so we'd both been trying to find our, our niche for working on small games, but when we were working at Frontier, but also just like, experimenting with local multiplayer games whilst we were there. But I think the jump-off moment was when we found um, a local multiplayer that really expressed the kind of play that we wanted. The kind yeah. Of thing we wanted. yeah, that's it. There was, there, was, there was definitely a feeling when we were playing to get, uh, games together that the kind of game we wanted to play didn't quite exist yet. And mm. I think we've overcooked, we sort of stumbled onto uh, a bit of a philosophy, I guess, in, in that it was, it was a game that was more about the coordination of a team rather than like any one player being being particularly yeah particularly great at the game yeah so what kind of games were they that you were playing that you thought there was something missing um we played all sorts really i mean we we played um some competitive ones we played a lot of like towerfall and uh um what was the racing one mashed wrecked wrecked was the one a lot of that um and then we played a game called Storage Inc, which was uh, it was an old XNA um, original Xbox yeah. live game mm-hmm. the indie channel, on the Xbox. indie channel. Yeah, and that was a game where you're sort of controlling forklift trucks, mm-hmm. and that was the first sort of 
game I, I've played anyway, that, I, that, that cooperation was really sort of so vital to succeeding in the level. Yeah, that, was, that, that, that game definitely inspired us. And I think there were other games of that, like Lovers in Dangerous Space Time is another good one, touching mm-hmm. off the, the kind of co-op where both players are doing something and how we communicate a lot together. And so those, those games are kind of inspiring us. Yeah, I'd say the, the games, it was like dungeon crawlers. So we'd get together and we might play Diablo or something. Yeah. I think that was where we sort of discovered um, something that we weren't too keen on, which was that oftentimes you'd find that uh, players would just be charging through the levels to try and either be, you know, the first to, to attack the enemy or the first one to pick up the, the loot when it spills out of the crates. Mm-hmm. And there was this weirdly competitive edge for what should have been a cooperative experience. And I think that was something that we wanted to sort of uh, explore yeah. with our games. Yeah, so you wanted it, um, the competition to be exclusively between kind of player players and versus machine not player versus player in in any sense of the word yeah or, or just just the fact that like in order to succeed in overcooked you need to work as a team there needs to be that communication that coordination um it's not the kind of thing where one of you can be really good at it and therefore the others can sort of not be as good yours it's sort of need to be working as a team yeah so it sounds like um the 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 kind of sensation that you wanted players to feel was was the the driving force about the game like the thematic and the aesthetic sides were were added were added at another time like would, would that be fair so like you'd already had the the kind of sensations that you wanted players to feel and then you kind of built a framework on top of that would that be correct yeah, that's that's right so cooking was kind of it just seemed like a really good uh, example of the kind of experience we wanted to recreate. I think the, the fact that, you know, I, I've worked in kitchens and things in the past, so I've sort of experienced firsthand that feeling of lots of people all having to work together to create that one single thing. And, and I think, yeah, that was why we were drawn to, to cooking more than anything else, was just that it, it allowed us to uh, create the experience we wanted or to give the experience we wanted to the player. Mm. I think there was a lot of trying to, once we had the sort of uh, equal experience of, of cooperation, we wanted to create something that brought as many people uh, to the table as possible so that um, players could all, like they had a sort of shared language. Uh, mm. So cooking has this uh, great thing of everyone kind of understanding the basics of it. And everyone has a starting point and it starts you on a more even level with which to cooperate, which is sort of yeah. part of the, the team experience. There's, there's this thing where people sort of, they roughly know how a burger is made, or they roughly know how a pizza is made. So, so they have that intrinsic knowledge, which I think is yeah, is, is kind of important, as you say, to level the playing field. Yeah. So, did did you know that you were onto something when you when you came across, or when you when you decided upon the the cooking theme? Because it's one of those things that when you play overcooked, in hindsight, it it works so brilliantly. But were you were you always convinced? I mean, there are cooking games. There have been cooking games in the past, but like Cooking Mama or Diner Dash or, or that sort of thing. But they're they're very kind of singular. They're they're built around single player experiences. Like, did you, when you started putting the cooking theme on, did you know that you were onto something, or or were you still were you a bit sort of, uh, was there any trepidation that um, that theme? I think there was a little bit of trepidation, I'd say. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like we were completely sold, oh, this is going to be a slam dunk, because obviously 
there is this thing, especially when you're prototyping, where you're never sure whether an idea just needs that little bit more polish or whether in actual fact it's a, it's a dead end and you need to, to scrap it. Because obviously having done our own prototypes in our own spare time, we've been down that alley quite a few times. Mm. And I think with Overcooked, there was definitely a nugget there. We were very quickly able to get a prototype together. Yeah. I mean, cooking cooking's a different, difficult genre in some ways because it comes with a lot of baggage. I mean, as you say, there are lots of examples of cooking games and people tend to come to the game with a certain assumption about what the game would be. So there was sort of, it was, it was a double-edged sword. It came with a lot of advantages, but it also came with this need to set a context for players that would be like, this isn't going to be the same as cooking games you've played before. Mm, yeah. For something we spent a lot of time trying to do as we sort of iterated on the yeah. game over various conventions. It was, it was something we, yeah, we discovered at the conventions, really. We, we'd take it there, and we had a few people walking by, and they'd see it was a cooking game, and they'd instantly sort of write, oh, mm. yeah. had a few people saying, no, nah, it's not my kind of game. We'd be like, what, what do you mean it's not game like, i'm not doing like cooking games like, well it's it's not really a cooking game but but all right that's something that we need to work on and something yeah. we need to consider because uh, for us it was just like well from a gameplay point of view it's really engrossing and, and, and exciting but yeah i think there's as, as Ola says a bit of baggage that comes with it as people think oh it's just cooking mama yeah yeah was that difficult to come was that difficult to overcome because i mean i don't want to sort of belittle anyone but it's almost like that that sort of response to that sort of dismissal of a game because it might be a cooking game is you know it's it's really a form of bigotry i suppose and it's, it's kind of how people define themselves based on what they don't indulge in as as much as what they do indulge in um so did you did you actively work to overcome that or did you kind of just leave that to be and you know hope that the quality of the game would eventually spread um the word of mouth as to its quality would eventually spread and those people would kind of in time come around or did you did you kind of jump in there and try to change people's perceptions like actively it was it was definitely an active thing we were definitely aware of the fact that this was a, a people had an idea of the game in their head before they played it and, and it was something that we found that when we took it to conventions and we coerced people perhaps some, some <laughs> to sit down and play the game that they would go through the first sort of tutorial levels and they'd be smiling and then they'd get to the i think it was the first like pirate ship level that you have where yeah you have things sliding around mm. and there's sort of moment of realization i think oh that's what this game's going to be this is yeah. a game that's going to you know keep us on our toes and encourage us to communicate and, and coordinate yeah. and, Go on. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think one of the big things that people assume about a cooking game when they were seeing it for the first time was that this was going to be more of a, even a simulation of cooking in some ways. Um, because whilst uh, there are a lot of games that sort of take an arcade feel to cooking, they're not, they're all still based very much in the real world. And yeah. we wanted to make clear as soon as possible with Overcooked that you were going to go to pirate ships, you were going to go to space, you were going to be you know fighting in lots of different locations and they were going to get increasingly disruptive mm. and that was part of the justification i think for how the the story of the game and the setting of the game is like an introduction to players to know this isn't your typical city kitchen this is going to be this is going yeah. to go to interesting places that's why we have this really ridiculous overtop <laughs> intro sequence yeah. starts the apocalypse because we wanted to sort of yeah really capture the player straight away and yeah, so this isn't just yeah. clear water between us and, and <laughs> other cooking games <laughs> yeah i'd never considered the narrative as a as a means to kind of um as a sort of extravagant way to capture 
players in that way, um, which is interesting. But did, did you? I mean, when? How far along in development did that did that aspect come come into it? Did you? I mean, did you have like a grand plan when you first started building it, and you knew exactly what was going to be there, and that was one of the elements, or or did that sort of evolve into the design a little bit later? Uh, it evolved. Yeah, I think originally we sort of had this collection, this ever increasing collection of levels that we were building, mm. and then I think I don't know the the map came next after that. I think putting it in a in a yes. world map that you could explore and having this sort of four player controlled uh, so a box fan thing. Yeah, and then yeah, the story was quite late on, really, wasn't it? Yeah, there was like a weird day where we sat down and we're like, okay, so we need like this sort of framing device we need this world this is going to be in what is the world that would justify four chefs going on an adventure <laughs> yeah. to like together to train up what would be the thing yeah. mm. and it just sort of seemed a natural weirdly that the only kingdom seemed the natural and obvious conclusion it was a really strange thing <laughs> we, we hadn't been sleeping a lot we've been working yeah. very hard <laughs> that might show in the story that it had been it was quite late in development we were having quite an odd odd time of it yeah, yeah. But the other thing is, of course, that we, we knew that because it was a multiplayer game, you don't necessarily have the player's attention as much as you do in a single player game. Mm. So we knew whatever the story was, it had to be fairly overblown. And also something that if you ignored, it wouldn't really affect things too much. Yeah, it had to be, it had to be short. It had to be attention grabbing because people don't watch cinematics as much when they're playing a multiplayer game. And mm. yeah, it had to be something that people would, would resonate with people, but in a short, shortened way, I think. Yeah. yeah. So some of the level designs that you've got, like um, you mentioned a pirate ship and there's the icebergs and there's all stuff like that. Were they levels that existed uh, in those themes before you came up with the narrative and then the narrative was kind of bent around those or was it the other way around that the, the narrative came and then you sort of jazzed up the levels to meet the that the the, the sort of story that you'd built? It was, it was the latter, I think. We had the... We had, um, basically, we, we would create themes for levels based on mechanics. We were very sort of design-driven in that way. We knew we had these kind of mechanical ways we wanted to divide the player or force them to, to rethink their strategy. And then we would think, okay, well, what is the context for, for, for example, a, a countertop moving from one side of the room to the other? And it's just like, oh, that's great. We could do a pirate ship type thing. And, yeah. and that sort of led to being slightly more abstract. And then the story on top of that was even more abstract. And then I think it was probably a little bit of going back through the levels and just thinking about how that would affect things. I mean, I, I, it's hard to, I can't really remember, but I, I assume at some point we must have been like, okay, so if this is what the wrapper is, and does that open up any more opportunities for them from haunted house and, and the like? Mm. Uh, but yeah, there was definitely a bit of to and fro, I think. Yeah. One made the other exaggerate, made the other exaggerate. I think yeah. is how it went. Yeah. So did you ever have to rein yourself in from that kind of the that back and forth of the, you know, exaggeration causing more exaggeration? <laughs> Uh, only through time, I think. <laughs> yeah, it just came a point. There's like... a point you have to stop, but um, yeah, I think it, yeah, it was it was all a matter of trying to create as much chaos for the players as possible because I think that was when Overcooked was the most enjoyable. Was when players weren't falling into a, a pattern and a, and a rut with the gameplay. So yeah. it was increasingly trying to find ways of pushing players around and making players fall to the sides of things, and you know, making players make mistakes. 
uh, that we kept trying to improve on, I think, as the game as we got the game towards its its eventual finishing state. Yeah. I, but yeah, and that that the level of chaos is interesting because you've managed to create a game that, as you said um, earlier, it appeals to um, players who might not necessarily be overly interested in video games. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this many times before, but you know, my girlfriend doesn't play video games, but she plays. She's perfectly happy and enjoys playing Overcooked. Um, but did you i mean a lot of that comes into controller and even when we're just playing two player we'll share the same controller because it's you know it's it's crazier playing it like that yeah yeah yeah. Uh, um was it difficult to bring in that balancing for someone that doesn't play games at all um in in the actual systems of the game like how how difficult was it to make it just sort of blatantly obvious and not abstract things too much um but also at the same time keep the game kind of complex enough for it to be to be interesting and sort of aspirational in terms of wanting players to get to the next level and the next level yeah i think there's there's quite a few things there really um one uh originally we we sort of made the game that we'd want to play so i don't think we gave that much consideration originally yeah originally that okay this is going to be a game that absolutely everyone is going to be able to pick up and play uh so there was a moment um the first convention we took the game to was norwich games festival Mm. and that's like completely open uh convention it's it's free for for developers to show their game it's also free for the public to come and, and play games and that means that you do get like a really broad spectrum of people that come in because obviously there's people who are just doing their shopping in the middle of Norwich <laughs> mm. yeah um so we actually had we had some very it was a, a young girl I couldn't even say how old she was let's say seven I said right seven something like that and she sat down and picked up the controller and that was the first time we were like oh okay we haven't actually thought about this at all. yeah we, we just hadn't considered it we'd, we'd we were the only ones who played it up to that point pretty much maybe some of our friends um but she sat down and was able to pick it up fairly quickly. Yeah. And and I think that was a really nice moment as well, because she went and got her parents and friends. And we saw lots of people over the, over the two days that we were there that would, yeah, would pick up the, the game and, and get to grips with it. Yeah. I think I think because of that, that was something that really excited us and also something that we wanted to embrace. Yeah, one of the sort of happy accidents we stumbled on with when we saw it at a convention was players who had played lots of games playing with players who never really play games all that much and neither was kind was neither was really annoying the other mm. they were both like neither was being pulled too far back or pushed too far ahead and when that was fairly early in Overcooked's development process so that was something we saw and we're like right we're holding on to that because that would be great if we made a game where people could play it with maybe sort of more a more casual game can play it with a more of a hardcore game did that that was something we really wanted to do because for local cult that's really important is to be able to just you know grab friends and family and people you know and work as a team was an experience we really wanted to, to create yeah mm. I'm, I'm glad of it we were, we were super happy that, that we managed to, 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 to get the game into that kind of state because we'd certainly um, heard anecdotally from people saying oh well I don't play that that often with, with my friends you know we don't all get together so yeah you know, maybe local co-op is a, is a dying um, genre mm. what was what was great about the fact uh, that, that overcooked could be played with people who don't necessarily play games is that most people live with someone, right? You either have kids, you have a partner, or you have a roommate or a housemate. Yeah, you know um, someone who can come to your house anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that was so 
uh, bringing those sort of communities together was something that really was really interesting to us because those are the experiences we remember playing as as kids. Absolutely. Is those games where you, you would invite friends around your house and then you'd look through what what co-op games existed and there seems to have been a reduction in the amount of those games that exist mm. uh, now and it's something we've really missed ourselves so we wanted to sort of create something like that again and that was the motivation for it yeah yeah with um, local co-ops sort of not being as prevalent as it was was it were you um uh I mean, were you still taking inspiration from how modern games operate or, or was it more about looking back towards when local co-op was, was sort of the, the primary means of playing multiplayer and taking lessons from sort of the bygone eras? I think we have a foot in both camps. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't remember distinctly like referencing older games for when we were looking at things i i, I think there's there's a bit of both really yeah i mean there's experiences you remember but it was never intentionally a retro game mm-hmm. i think it, it there's a lot that has developed in games over the last sort of 10 years in terms of uh accessibility and in terms of uh gameplay ideas yeah. that we, we wanted to hold on to um, but it was more about capturing the experience if you like rather than necessarily the the, the gears and wheels of, of that yeah. old that old uh, way of playing, as I was hold on to. Mm. I think you, you touched on the um, the split controller. Mm. It's something that we were very keen. I think when we realised that we could keep the controls as simple as they are, yeah. there was a moment where we were like, oh, okay, that actually means that we can do this this split controller mode, which actually I, I think we convinced ourselves was more and more important because it, it certainly we got the sense that. Um, People don't necessarily own four controllers for their PlayStation or for their Xbox or as much as they used to. Like yeah. my experience with the N64 is that most people had four controllers um, just because they were so used to playing these kind of games. Uh, so split controller mode was something where we're like, even if you have just one controller, you can still play the game the way we intended it to be played. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it does add something. It is an interesting experience to play on the split. Yeah, well. yeah. I think there's that nice sort of physicality and that, that camaraderie that comes with the fact that you are jostling for control of the controller. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things where, as a lot of the the entertainment from the game comes from um, what's happening in in the in your real physical space as much yeah, right. as what's yeah. happening on the screen. Um, and it sort of gives it a more sort of tactile sort of if you if you if you're successful, it, it gives that sort of bonding feel with the players around you. Yeah, like you like you were saying with a young girl that was really um, that was really into the game when she played it. What sort of state was the game in at that point? Was it quite close to what it is now, or was there still a lot of way to go? Like, were a lot of the uh, were the visuals, for example, as as developed as they as they were now? Was it engaging on that aesthetic level? Uh, I think the visuals were fairly similar. It wasn't quite as polished as it is now. We hadn't added a lot of the effects and things. Uh, we had the sort of rudimentary colours and block out for levels, I think. We definitely settled. The characters were pretty much what they are now. Yeah. There were less of them, and there were a lot less levels. There was only yeah, like it was, five or six it was, levels. Yeah, about five or six levels that, that we took in. I think, I think the big thing, well, actually, there's two big things that changed. One of them was the way that we deal with scoring, because originally it was kind of a survival thing where you just kept delivering orders uh, until you lost lives. So every time an, uh, you'd spent too long on an order, it would, you'd get the buzzer and you'd lose a life. And it was like when you lost three, that was it. Mm. And we found that actually people started to 
were finding that a lot more stressful because there was this feeling of constantly failing. Right? It felt too negative. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was the first big thing that we changed. We changed the scoring to be slightly more positive. So it's just how many can you do at that time. And then the other thing, uh, which actually we spent a, a large part of the design on, which was the restrictions that we, we imposed on the players. Mm. And that's not, not necessarily negative things, just things like originally players could like add whatever they wanted to a burger and they could accidentally fail a lot more often. So they could accidentally add two burgers or an uncooked burger to a bun or an yeah. unchopped lettuce and, and this kind of thing. And they'd fail and it wasn't quite clear. So we spent a lot of time just saying, okay, how we don't want the player to be completely restricted because we want some of these errors in there and we want people to be able to make mistakes. But Yeah, I think as we introduced more and more chaos into the game, it got more and more important that you wouldn't get caught out on technicalities by the game. Mm. Like that it was sort of, it was nice and you could put stuff together and you felt like you had a sort of safe core experience that then we could disrupt as much as possible because that gave you a sort of access point for I'm coming in, no, everything's nice and friendly, I just have to make an onion soup, oh now the boat's moving around and the kitchen's on fire and all that kind of stuff that's sort of outside of that mm. gameplay. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing that changed a lot was the importance of environment, right? Rather than... Yeah, yeah. I, 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 again, um, just from watching people play it, we realised that they didn't seem as bothered that they were because in those early levels we didn't have that many recipes we, and, and a lot of them were like onion soup levels that people were making but people didn't seem to mind at all that that's what they were doing so long as the levels were introducing something new and something interesting um that would change the way they play it and i think that was a big surprise to us because we were thinking okay this is gonna be a game that's gonna have lots and lots and lots of different recipes and you're gonna have to learn them all and they'll be really intricate yeah and we realized that in actual fact yeah the, the level design was way more important to yeah, in more intricate recipes as much as they wanted interesting levels to play in whilst the game does support lots of different recipes it definitely became much more of a focus of the game to make interesting environments and interesting challenges for players to overcome whilst they were cooking recipes that they could remember We hope you're enjoying the show so far, and if you're motivated to delve deeper into game design and game designers, then do make sure you check out Independent by Design, Art and Stories of Indie Game Creation. It's a hardback book that combines inside stories that focus on specific studios and individuals, all of which are informed by tens of hours of original interviews with compelling pages of original artwork and concept documents. 26 studios and individuals are included such as Introversion, Denerton, Vlambeer, Devolver Digital, The Chinese Room, Frictional Games, and many more. Just go to IndieByDesign.net to get your copy today. You can also follow us on Twitter at IndieByDesign and on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash independentbydesign. Our website, as well as being a portal through which you can listen to this podcast and buy our book, is also full of interesting editorial content for you to read. Again, that's IndieByDesign.net. Begin part two of our interview with Phil explaining how he and Ollie went about distilling the myriad ideas they had for Overcooked into what eventually became the finished game. There was so much playtesting, making pages and pages of notes of things that people were doing or that we hadn't expected them to do, or problems they kept running into again and again, and then we'd go back and we'd develop a bit more and we'd yeah. bribe our friends with beers and pizzas to come around and play the game again and again yeah. and again. Yeah. Um, that certainly is, is my lasting memory of like what was the most difficult bit of the design for it. Yeah, it's like the psychology of groups, mm. and it became much more about playing with lots of people and then seeing the patterns start to emerge of what people do, the mistakes they tend to make, when something's unclear, and that's kind of the process of making anything 
uh, any game yeah. is this process of iterating with the players and then going, okay, this this didn't quite make sense or this did make sense or they prefer more of this. Uh, we did a lot of that with Overcooked to try mm. and make sure people, especially because there's only two of us and it's a four-player game, it was really important for us yeah. to get as many people playing as possible. So and like you, really early on, we would play it completely differently to how yeah. most people play the game because obviously we know exactly the, the, the best way to play a level, but also we've just played it so much that there's very little communication that yeah. happens between us two. We sit in total silence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so did you have to play test there? Did you go out of your way to play test um, with groups or in um, environments that would, in which non-traditional gamers would be able to take part? Um so you know like playtesting at things like games conventions you tend to get a very certain kind of person yeah. that visits them but yeah did you make an, an active effort to kind of try to put the game into a different setting that would be that wouldn't attract those those kinds of people we wanted both yeah yeah so we we, we just took it to, to anyone we could find really so we did take it to you know our our, our friends and, and family as well, all of whom, you know, some of whom are, are gamers, some of whom aren't. We took it to a uh, local university and we got some of the students to play it and their lecturers and things. Uh, and as we mentioned, you know, we took it to, to big and large conventions. Yeah. Yeah, just, just anywhere where they'd let us set up a TV and a laptop, basically. When you get an interesting mix of players of different abilities, like that was the, the perfect sweet spot because then you just got this interesting interplay of problems, mm. Um, mm. which you saw a lot in the smaller conventions yeah and was there there ever a a, because I mean one of the things um, that I I think the way that in my personal experience the way that other people have wanted to really want to get involved is I mean you you can explain the game to people all day and and they they could demonstrate an interest but what really gets to what gets people excited to want to play is by watching other people play like there's a real sort of spectator vibe like a real strong spectator sport almost element to the game and um was that something that you were always that you were always aware of and you actively worked to cultivate like were there any design decisions in maybe the ui design or or even like the the fact that two people can play together on the same controller even just watching people try to fumble about with that sometimes is is entertaining like um yeah was that worked into your design explicitly um i'm kind of thinking in the same way as how a lot of i know this your, your game's not an esport but a lot of esports games the ui design is is explicitly designed for a viewer in mind as well as the player um was there any sort of cultivation on your side to make sure that it was so fun to watch people play? Not a huge amount. I mean, we certainly were aware we wanted it uh, uh, for it to be fun to, to watch. And we were off, we watched a lot of, or we experienced a lot of people playing the game in groups of five as well. That happens quite a lot where you have four people playing and you have a fifth person who's there to point out who's okay. doing something wrong, almost like a sort of head chef who's not even playing <laughs> yeah uh, we, we certainly encouraged people to to capture anything they wanted from the game and to share it because we knew that would be a big part of the game is, is actually people playing with their friends and wanting to show you know yeah. their other friends how they get on and maybe it comes a little bit from trying to bring people in and show them like visually that this isn't a 
standard cooking and it maybe also translates into the game playing yeah. in a certain way visually. Mm. There's, there's definitely an aspect of that to the visuals where we want people to instantly be able to tell what's going on at a glance because obviously when you've got four people charging around, it's important yeah. that you can distinguish you know, a, a mushroom from a tomato and you can see yeah. the distinct... Uh, stations that are spread around that kitchen because yeah. we have to teach because it, it, it's so different mechanically from um, games people are used to I think that so there was a lot of, of teaching players the sort of gears and wheels of what they had to do in the early couple of levels yeah uh, but you had to make sure that everything was very clear so people picked it up very quickly because you wanted to get them into the, the, the interesting bits where they had to you know that was another thing as well that changed was, was the UI actually is the fact that Originally, you know, there was there was a text-based UI and it would tell you this is an onion soup and this is what you need. It, it was oh, kind yeah. of like little, um, like the little order bits of scraps of paper you used to get in restaurants mm -hmm. in the past. Um, and yeah, we, we changed that just so that it hopefully that now at a glance you can sort of tell. Okay, uh, when you're looking at a burger, for example, it's got an onion and uh, it's got a lettuce and tomato and a bun, and then the uh, the meat has a little frying pan symbol it. So hopefully you can just quickly look at that. Yeah, and tell exactly what needs to be done. Yeah, and are these things that came out of um, sort of playtesting criticisms, or or were these things that you that you um, that you came across yourselves? Like when you're playing, I know you know when you're like like you were saying before, it's sometimes difficult to see the wood for the trees when you're so good at the game anyway. Um, but yeah, were these things that you knew had to be changed or? I think, I think that was one we knew needed to be changed more. I mean, there's, there's lots of different factors. So some of it was players not being, uh, not being 100% sure what was needed for an order. And then yeah. other bits of it would just be things as simple as, like, we wanted to have more screen real estate that we could use for the players to play in. So we tried to make the UI as, as small as we could possibly get it. And, and obviously when you have text and you have to translate it, that's something where it can get, much bigger and take up a much more room than you want it to yeah mm. you get a bit of a feel for it i think um having seen a lot of the game at convention but you kind of have to be open to take it to convention and then just sort of seeing if it's a total disaster because it's yeah. very difficult to tell i mean as you say it's very difficult to tell when you play the game a lot yourself and when you're so close to the metal as we are that whether your game is fun or not is an almost impossible question to answer you have to see other people play it to work out what bits of your game work yeah uh, important to us a lot and there's, there's definitely a, a feeling that you, you just need to hold on to that little belief that you have in the game because obviously the first few conventions you take it to you're going to get a lot more negative yeah. feedback because <laughs> people are stuck and they are going to play in the way they're not expecting yeah which is why it's good to do it early because then you can make changes um and it doesn't feel quite so punishing when you've got an early yeah. prototype that people are getting stuck on and you're like that's okay because they've got like you know i've got a few months i can put together yeah. some more things <laughs> yeah so that, that makes it sound like we're way more calm about it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Did you um I'm I'm curious about that the conventions. Did you allow people to play single player or were you very much um, you know, this is a multiplayer only game? So for the first conventions it was very much multiplayer. Yeah, we even had a, a single player. We we, we had uh, a very basic single player that was literally just one avatar running around and doing everything. Yeah, it was very, single player was difficult with Overcooked to get yeah. right. I think we spent a lot of time trying to make it the experience work. And certainly at a convention, we tended to play with players who would come up. Mm -hmm. um, 
to sort of give them someone to play against yeah. uh, because we thought it was a, a, a nice experience because obviously the game from the ground up was built as a, as a local multiplayer game. Uh, and then single player, is, is, it's, it's something that we sort of spent a lot, we tried a lot of different things until we settled on what we eventually had. Yeah, we had, we had a very bizarre sort of offshoot puzzle game originally with the single player. We had yeah. all new levels and it was all about sort of switching between these various different chefs and, and, and there were very maze-like levels. We had to get like a lettuce from one end to the other and put it in the soup. Yeah. And I think we ended up settling on something that we tried to convey as much of the core experience of the multiplayer game, but as a single player game. So you're cooperating with yourself was a sort mm. of basic premise. It is still more of a, it feels more time management. I think it's more of an, like it's, I would say that the single player game is more of a, a gamer's game than, than, yeah. than Overcooked as, as a whole, because I think it's much more challenging. That's mm. definitely something we, we, we thought about where we were just like, okay, well let's, since the, since the single player is something that, I don't know, it just felt like it was a different audience. Someone who's going to sit and play yeah. the game on their own Let's make it slightly more challenging for them mm, because yeah. it is some because you're aware of what both chefs are doing at all times as well. Yeah, so it's not like in multiplayer where you've just got yourself and then three characters that are just off wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's important to have like a single player there just for the purposes of people buying because when people first buy the game, they're on their own quite often. They're on their own and they're looking to see if they want to take this to their friends. You need to get something that conveys that experience. And says, no, this is the this is the experience you're going to have with your mm -hmm. friends. And then they can take it and play it with other people as well. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a different game in some ways, but it's one that tries to get the sort of philosophy and experience of this as a multiplayer into a single player game. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, it sounds like um, there's a lot that you um, added. There's a lot that that used to exist in the game that doesn't exist anymore. Do you sort of mourn the fact that these things are not? are not out in the public sphere, um, maybe not in Overcooked, but in some form or other, because it sounds like there was quite a lot of work that went into that. There's, there's definitely features um, that we had to remove that I enjoyed and yeah. that I'd like to play with a bit more, but they're definitely not ones that I feel like, oh, I wish they were in Overcooked, as you said. Yeah. Um, there, was, there was certain levels, for example, that, that worked way better with just, uh, it would only work when you had four players because for most of the levels, you can play at two to four players. Mm. Yeah. And there were some really nice, intricate levels that required you to pass ingredients, you know, between all four of you. But then when we tried to pair that down for the three and the two player uh, variations of it, it just didn't feel quite as fun. So it's, it's yeah. definitely like, there's some of those levels I wish that we could have somehow found a way to get in. And, and the single player stuff I did, did enjoy to an extent, but it was a completely different game. And it felt like we were just, yeah, we were building two games at the same time. It felt more of a puzzler, I think. So yeah. yeah, the amazing thing. I think part of it, there's a brutality to games design where you just have to kill what doesn't work, or even sometimes kill something you like and then see what it does to the game. Yeah. Mm. And there was a lot of that that went into Overcooked. Yeah. Um, because that but simplicity of the game was important to us to sort of start from a, a minimalist point of view and then build up the level of difficulty and chaos. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was kind of a relief in some ways when we did cut that away because it felt like we were actually honing in on the, the design that we were yeah. keen on, then we weren't watering it down. But yeah, that's true for that reason. So I always think the balancing on the game like this must be so difficult to achieve, but is that the way that you did it for each level? You you started with the four players and then worked uh, worked from there? Not always, no. Sometimes it would be, I'd be thinking about two players and that would be the jumping off point. I think that normally there's a kind of experience that you want to convey. There's, there's a story that you want the, the players to experience. Uh, 
So you'd start building a level and thinking about, okay, how can we give the players that experience? What would happen if, if they were on two sides and, and they only had access, they had to share access to the sink and this kind of thing? Yeah. And it would be kind of the, the filter you'd have to then run it through in your mind was just that, okay, well, how does that change in two player? How does that change in three player? Yeah. And, and that was kind of how we'd. In terms of the balancing, there was a lot of oh my gosh. there was a lot of playtesting and a lot of of score collecting that we yeah. did to try and get the the score levels where they are. Mm. Because obviously, in the end game, we've got thirty cooperative levels, mm. all of which can be played two, three, and four player, and we've got oh, and one player as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, and, and then we have three different score boundaries for that. So we have this enormous spreadsheet that has all those different combinations and all the different scores for each. Um, and you'd find a situation where if you decide, actually, you know what, it'd be nice if the characters just run a little bit faster. You could just do that. And then you'd suddenly realize that, oh, hold on, that's going to change every single score in the game because suddenly now they can get that one extra order in or something like that. So that was, yeah, that, that was pretty brutal. And that was really in the last few months of development where we, there, was, there was a stage I remember distinctly being like, right, okay, no, we can't make any more of those kind of changes because we just can't, don't have the time to, to play test it all and record scores you know, and try and create the... Uh, and there was a lot of like flipping around what recipes were involved in what levels mm. and, and how that was going to work. Because we, we, one of the difficulties was we wanted to introduce lots of different kinds of recipes. Uh, but when you introduce a new recipe, players, they, they take a hit a little bit on their level of understanding. Because if you make it two difficult levels, it also introduces a new recipe. Mm. It's kind of overwhelming. So there's a sort of peaks and troughs to the difficulty of the levels that corresponds to where where recipes get introduced is getting increasingly more complicated recipes and levels going through the game. And that was down quite a lot swapping around as well, based on the little bit what what scores we recorded for those levels. Mm. And while you're going through all of this, were you um, were you interacting a lot or showing the game a lot to other game designers who maybe had experience of things like balancing or was it purely play testing and demonstrating in front of kind of the wider public? Uh, a bit of both. Again, yeah, we 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 did show it to, to other game developers. Obviously, we're, we're still in Cambridge, uh, and so we're really close to everyone that we used to work with at Frontier. So we'd have quite a lot of other developers with the our uh, guinea pigs on play the game. We got a lot of good feedback from them. Um, but most of the balancing uh, was was just something that we we had to do ourselves really because we were so close to it. I, I mean, we we had we've, we've done it in the past on projects. With Frontier, so we have a, a bit of experience with it. Yeah, I mean, but, we also uh, got a lot of help from uh, so Team Seventeen's QA department played the game yeah. a lot. A lot mm. of our scores are based on on their playthroughs and and their feedback. It is interesting watching games developers play it versus mm. regular players. Games developers don't play games like normal human beings, I think. Mm. <laughs> so there, there's always like a big pinch of salt with any lessons you draw from them playing a game. <laughs> yeah, watch them instantly just try and find the bugs or experimenting. <laughs> mechanics are and, and how the game plays seeing if they could destroy it more yeah. another. you get you get a lot more suggestions for how you can fix things as well compared to like when you play it with just normal members of the public they're more likely to tell you what's where they've got stuck and what's broken as opposed to offering up a solution to it yeah 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 it sounds like a nerve-wracking experience <laughs> it's always nerve-wracking i'm still nervous now when i people playing it there's still a feeling of like oh gosh i should have a notebook with me and it's very rare that i make it through because whenever i watch a youtuber play our game it's rare that i make it through the entire thing because i find it too stressful to watch <laughs> I try, but it's hard yeah. yeah 
do you do you still play the game yourselves, or is or is your time with the game now spent <laughs> watching other people? <laughs> Lots of I I'm, I'm sort of forced to play it every now and again. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I take it to, to friends' house, and they're like, oh, you want to play this?" I'm still playing because I'm doing the Switch ports. So still... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, we both have a sort of uh, uh, nervous tick now whenever we get music playing. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, music. I, I do still I, I just do still find it strangely sort of engrossing when I do play it. There. It was a weird. Necessity to it's it. sort of calm now playing it because I no longer really think whilst playing it. It's just yeah. the sort of thing that turns my brain off when I'm just sort of finishing a level. Because we've played it so many, so many times at conventions because we do a lot of our, our conventions ourselves mm. uh, and take it and play it with players. And yes, yeah, so we, we play the game a lot and it's the sort of yeah. We had when, when we took it to uh, EJH Res recently, we remembered that because um, we were playing it on a, a Switch kit that wasn't our own, we had to unlock a lot of the levels ourselves really early in the morning. So there's oh, a yeah. stage where me and Ali are just sort of sat there in serene silence, just doing what it takes to get all the stars to unlock <laughs> yeah, levels yeah. and things. So, so the public would have access to as many levels as possible. We've got quite good at speed running overcooked. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that aspect of um, sort of independent development, the, the working with a, a publisher, um, taking your games to events dealing with press and, and and this sort of thing i think it's often an element of development that is kind of overlooked or something that you know people just think kind of magically happens um was that um was that something that was difficult for you guys to engage with um did you did, did you have to do a lot of um sort of learning and and educating yourselves in in terms of how to go about making you know the relationship with a publisher work or a relationship with a um a member of the press or the or the press in in general work or was that something that just kind of came naturally to you and it was and it was all perfectly straightforward it was it was difficult for us I, I, it was something we were braced for though something we yeah. knew we spoke to a lot of people before we went independent uh that you know a lot of your time is going to be spent juggling that side of things the press and pr and conventions and publishers um so I think we were ready for it and that helped in some ways, but we did spend, you know, a large portion of the first few months of development just researching that and looking into it, speaking to as many people as possible. Yeah. Um I don't think it's something we gradually got better at. I think the reason part of the reason why we ended up uh having a publisher was because it took away um some of the requirement to do a lot of the sort of uh day-to-day email management PR yeah. stuff that was just like distracted from development a little bit because mm. um, it turns out that I mean whilst we were sort of warned about it I don't even realize quite how much uh, you have to do uh, in terms of like just organization um, yeah. outside of developing the game itself so we wanted to sort of get, get a publisher to sort of take that that thing that was so it wasn't a development part of the game out of our hands a little bit so that we could just sort of focus on what we thought was important. Yeah, I think we did we did the, the best we could and we sort of struggled through. And I think we actually did all right with it. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was taking, as you say, a lot of time away from development. And particularly when you're reaching the last, uh, you know, last half development, you, yeah, you realise you can't yeah, sacrifice that. Mm. And actually having a, a publisher and making that decision to try and seek out a publisher, that was definitely one of the big uh, reasons for doing it. Yeah, and uh, we, we got a publisher very late development usually we get a publisher earlier so we had the game running and largely finished yeah yeah i think it was mainly sort of content complete was yeah i think it was still bugs but there wasn't like there wasn't like a level missing at that point i don't think yeah 
I think we might have added one level after we were going to publish it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's yeah, but uh, so we had it running on, on both of the, the consoles uh, as well. Uh, but we, I think it, it freed up a lot of our time in terms of like testing and PR and all of that kind of thing so that we could just get that last that last couple of months, really. And, and another thing that was, that was really handy about having Team 17 on board, um, it wasn't just the, the time it took. Looking, it was it was the contacts as well, so they know yes. lots of people and have lots of experience dealing with, with journalists yeah. and, uh, and the uh, platform holders themselves, which is something that we had a few contacts yeah. and we had a few people at the various uh, uh, platform holders that we could speak to. That suddenly, yeah, it opened up to a lot more people. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because we came from quite a large studio, and when you're working in a fairly large studio, there's a degree of separation between you yeah. and they normally have a marketing press. department. Right? Yeah, and, and so you don't go to the conventions. That's the yeah, thing. you don't go to the conventions as a, as a large studio. So it's mm-hmm. our first time going to the conventions with a bill when we were working on, on this. Yeah. So was there a... Um, do you remember the first time that you showed the game to Team 17? What was that What was that experience like? Was it... Um, did, they, did they get it? Did they, did they like the idea straight away? We weren't actually there. That was one of the first few ones that we actually sent a bill to them and we weren't by there. Normally we try to be there when people are playing the game because you want to make sure there's not a horrible bug or something that's, yeah. that's happening without you knowing. Justify the game. Um, <laughs> and they'd really enjoyed the game the first time, but they'd actually they actually turned it down the first time we showed it to them uh, because they just had too many projects on their books at the time. Yeah. Um, but clearly it had left an impression because when we were still uh, you know, showing the game to conventions and still speaking to publishers and things, they got back to us. I think how many months later was it? Do you think? Uh, maybe about six months later. Six months later, they came back and sort of said, "Look, we've got this opening now. We've still been playing it in the office. We still really enjoy it." And I mm. think that was that's a really good sign because there's, there's lots of champions then of the game. Yeah, well, playing it in their lunch break. Yeah, yes. the nice thing about Evercooked is it sort of infects all of these companies with people playing it in their lunch breaks. <laughs> Suddenly <laughs> yeah. they're aware of it, mm. which is quite nice because obviously that was the, the game originally was designed for us to play in our lunch breaks. Yeah, in the studio. So that was really nice to hear. spread through that community. <laughs> yeah. Quite nice. Yeah. Was that? Um, I wonder if that. Added, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of a lot of studios before that are made up of a, a small number of people, and a number of them have expressed this feeling that they that they feel like an imposter um, upon the industry until they reach a certain point. And for some people, that might be getting a publisher. For some people, that might be selling a certain number of copies. For some people, that might be getting. Um, positive appraisal from their peers. Was that something that that you ever felt at at any point and did something like the the um, team seventeen wanting to work with you or the you know the um, your amazing success at the BAFTAs? Was there anything? Was there any? Did you ever feel that point where you had to um, feel you had to legitimize yourself in some way? And was there any? Was there any? Was there any event that sort of... So we still battle with today. <laughs> we always talk about this, don't we? When we take it to conventions and people say congratulations on the game and you're like, oh, you've played it. other than us. I, think, I actually, I like it in some ways, holding on to that feeling of not being quite, like, trying to, not not being quite as aware of how many people have played it and, like, the, the who, who's played it. Because I think if you try and think about it in those terms of, like, oh, you know, how many thousands of people have played it, it's like, you can't, yeah, you it's can't too overwhelming. Yeah. I, 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 in terms of key events, though, I was thinking like 
that, that made me feel warm and fuzzy <laughs> or made me, no, made me feel less of an imposter, I guess, was um, there was an EGX where they do a, uh, like a, a questionnaire for people after they've left the convention mm. as to which they really enjoyed. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Overcooked had held really high on that. I think we were like a third. We were just above, just above Quantum Break. I yeah. <laughs> Behind, uh, oh, what was it? One of them was PlayStation VR was above us. And then the other two was like, one Dark was a Soul. Microsoft game and the other one was Dark Souls or something. <laughs> so that wasn't necessarily a feeling of like, oh, we belong here. That was just a nice feeling of like, oh, these aren't people that know us. Yeah. These aren't people that have to be nice to us and save and enjoy the game. So, mm. You know, they've left us behind them. They just answered a random question. Yeah. And then, of course, being nominated for the IDF was a huge deal for us, yeah. uh, as well as BAFTA. I mean, those those are huge, huge things. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, somebody, somebody's asked us once um, how we felt about the BAFTA with, you know, how, how does that make you feel? It was, mm. it was only a few weeks after we'd, we'd, we'd won the award where I sort of it began to, I appreciated the fact that it was, the BAFTA is you know, made up of lots of different developers, mm-hmm. lots of our peers. I think that that's a really nice feeling to think that they all played that and, and enjoyed it and again voted for it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was really, it's very humbling to have that kind Absolutely. of yeah. feeling of because we still don't feel. I still look at the list of, of games that we're nominated and, and I just think oh, we're just so out of place there. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's nice. And I wonder now that that's had a little bit of time to sink in and you can kind of take stock of it all, has um, has it made you more hungry to do more games of this sort? And I'm not talking about over, I'm just talking about the sensation of providing that sort of psychological experience of giving that communal multiplayer um uh, context um has it made you kind of more inspired to do that sort of game again or was that a kind of game that you want to um continue to do in the future anyway or or do you have plans to do something completely unrelated i, I think the, I don't know, it hasn't really changed what i want to do with games so much yeah. I, I think we've, we've always had this this desire to make the kind of games that we want to play. Yeah, I and mean, you have to start from there. I think mean, you have to start with what you enjoy and then work from there. And if it turns out that that's what lots of people enjoy, that's, that's better. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't think it's entirely like, nice. oh, we're making a game just for us because God knows what that would be. So yeah, we wouldn't have any be. tutorials in it. No, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you no, are able to play. Really, really <laughs> difficult to read. It's only accessible, but something you would enjoy. Something um, you would enjoy if you hadn't seen it before. <laughs> but it, there's certainly a, a, an encouragement that comes from from the success of the game, which is uh, the thing that you set out to make is something that people have enjoyed. Yeah, and, and that's nice, and it, it does give you a boost to think, well, okay, maybe they'd enjoy something else that we'd like to play. Yeah, I mean, the other the other hope is that I mean, well, I I really like local co-op games, and I hope that not just us, but I hope other people develop local co-op games. Absolutely, I, I want to play more of them. Again, um, you know, we we create the game, but we don't necessarily play it anymore. Be nice if someone could make one for us to play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes I feel like we're owed one now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's 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 an area that we're keen to explore in because it's something that we do enjoy and yeah, as we've like sort of said, because it's something we we love. We yeah. love local cob. But uh, yeah, it's it's we're stones on turn, right? Yeah, there's lots of things we'd like to try. Um, so yeah. yeah, we're not sure quite, but yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I like most about it is uh, about overcooked is that it's got a kind of 
like an evergreen quality like it's it's quite a timeless game like you know it's the kind of thing you still oh. see yourself playing in like five years time or or whatever it's not it's not built on kind of fashions of the time and just whenever that fashion goes out of date the game feels redundant yeah. um so yeah i mean and it sounds like your underlying design philosophy is also similarly disinterested in that in that kind of thinking as well kind of agree with that i guess in some ways it's certainly not something that i'm i'm actively looking for to other games and thinking about success i can't do I'm, I'm definitely thinking about the kind of experience we've yeah got i think if you start with experiences then you you you're trying if you sort of stay close to the experience then you can't go too far wrong it's an experience that people want Mm. Uh, and that's one of the nice things about local co-op as an experience is I definitely find myself playing local co-op games from four or five years ago because you know, yeah, yeah. They're, they're still fun. I mean, it, it, because part of the fun uh, of that game is the interactions that it creates in the real world. And that's something we definitely try to do with Overcooked. Yeah, the, the um, gameplay that exists off the screen, I think, is often... Yeah, and it's a big part of, of, of what we, we've tried to develop is to get people talking, to get people having a team experience. For more on games and game creators, do visit IndieByDesign.net and follow us on Twitter at IndieByDesign. The Indie by Design podcast is released every Wednesday and is brought to you by the writers and creators of Independent by Design, Art and Stories of Indie Game Creation. Our next episode features the Chinese Room, creators of Dear Esther and Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Music is kindly provided by Ben Prunty.